Hi, this is Brian, one-third of Pen Pen Pals and life coach at lifejutsu.com. This week's episode deals with themes of bullying. If this is a sensitive issue for you, then please join us next week for a different discussion of Kazuya Tsurumaki's groundbreaking anime, Fuli Cooley. If you've dealt with bullying, you may know the unfortunate reality that unresolved emotional trauma can have long-lasting effects. For help resolving past issues, you can email me at brian at lifejutsu.com. The whole point of Life Jutsu is to offer quality services to people that might not normally be able to afford quality coaching and wellness counseling. Uh, don't let finances stop you from recovering from a difficult past. Just type pen pen pals in the subject line. This first session is free. Thanks for listening. I saw God the other day. Welcome everyone to Pen Pen Pals, uh, FLCL season, episode two? Yeah, episode two, Firestarter. My name's Alex, and I'm here with my two co-hosts. Uh, I'm... <laughs> I totally steamrolled you. <laughs> well, I'm Ben. And that was Brian. <laughs> uh, and we're excited to be back with another episode of one of our favorite animes for you. And today we have a new fabulous guest to the roster. Please welcome Blue Panda to the Hello. show. Hello. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you. Awesome. Um, you play a uh, cover of a pillow song, and I saw it online. Uh, what's the instrument you use? Uh, it's called an omnichord. It's like a little synthesizer that's only like a foot and a half long. It's really easy to use, so <laughs> it's a lot of fun. It looked kind of like it operated like, um, what are those things called? An auto harp? Yeah, it's. I think it's based off a harpsichord. It became popular when it aired on Adventure Time because Rebecca Sugar used it in a couple episodes and people are like, what is that sound? And I was one of those people that I have to figure out where you go. <laughs> That's a really fascinating sound. Like when you hear it, or at least when I hear it, feelings of childhood nostalgia immediately get conjured. It sounds like hopes and dreams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it has almost a uh, like bagpipe or accordion feeling because of the constant sound. Yeah, it's got like chords in the back that you can adjust. Yeah, it's like a nice background noise because by itself it sounds like little fairy noises, but it sounds more like a, like a finished song with the chords behind. Wow, very cool. So you've seen this before. Uh, what, what was your opening experience with FLCL? Oh man, currently it's like top three for me, like favorite shows of all time. When I first saw it, I was pretty young. So I was like kind of freaked out, but to be honest, I was like, I don't know. 14 and I hadn't really seen anime before so I just saw it on Funimation I mean not Funimation uh what's that it was on Cartoon Network Tsunami oh yeah yeah I saw it on there I was like what is this but I circled back later like a year later and I was like actually this is the greatest thing one question since I have a 14 year old and a 12 year old myself in the house like looking back at your first impressions of Fooly Cooly versus uh how you perceive it now are there any significant differences Oh, for sure. You know, when you're past the age of the main character and you're looking back, you can like start to compare your own struggles of the time. Because <laughs> yeah. like when you're so close to it, like when you are 14 and you watch Fully Cooly, you're, you're not thinking about your teenage experience. You're just like, oh, man, I feel this too hard. It's kind of cringe sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, it's it's very nostalgic. So I, I didn't mention this on our first episode. So I have a 12 a year old now who's the same age as our main character. And uh, now I'm seeing it through this different lens. I'm like thinking about my son going through these experiences. I'm like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so there's this new level of surrealness to an already surreal anime. Oh, for sure. I have distinct memories of watching Evangelion or Evangelion when it's like 13 or 14. I don't really have the exact memories of Free Korea. I think probably would have been about 14 or something like that. Um, and this this episode that we're on today is definitely one of the ones that made a lasting impression, I think. And, and I think it's kind of like my go-to memory for this show when I think back about it. Mm -hmm. Who doesn't like setting fire? <laughs> uh, did anybody have any thoughts or any stuff they wanted to talk about before we go into the episode itself? <sighs> I, I guess I have a confession. Um, the first time I saw Fooly Cooly, I was one of those few that was really looking forward to like Evangelion 2. And I think mm -hmm. that's actually why I didn't get past two episodes. Because I was like, where are the freaking mech fights, man? <laughs> Which is funny because looking back, the mech fights in the series are amazing. They're so good. <laughs> why wasn't I sold on this? But I had the one disc and then I chucked it because it's like, ugh. Well, well, I'll tell you, 
You evidently you started on episodes three and four, right? So you're probably <laughs> yes. like, this shit doesn't make any sense. Like, <laughs> what the fuck is going on? <laughs> yeah. So Blue Panda, that was my my fatal flaw. Like, uh, I picked up disc two, which had episodes three and four, thinking I picked up disc one. And I didn't even question it. <laughs> I don't know that uh, starting at the beginning offers much more of an explanation, but I would not want to get dropped into this show in the middle of it. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. It makes like little no sense already. I can't imagine like going halfway through. Yay, Dada is <laughs> Okay, so episode two, Firestarter. So we start with Mamimi down at the water and she's playing this like Game Boy style game, but it it didn't look like, like we get a few shots of the device itself. And to me, it didn't look like a Game Boy or Game Gear or, or a, an equivalent. It looked like a standalone thing, mm. like an old Tecmo or like those really crappy old uh, standalone games. And so I, I thought maybe it was just a nod to uh, Mamimi's relative poverty hmm. compared to Nauta and other people in the town. And we saw like last episode, she's picking up old bread from the bakery and it sounds like her home life isn't very productive, positive. Uh, so I, I, I don't know. I just felt it was uh, reinforcing yeah, that. Yeah, I know. Like when she, they threw her shoes in the water, she looked so sad. Like maybe that was her only pair. That's like... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> And then she goes to now to school, like just shows up, which is kind of weird. But I guess we're establishing a pattern. Uh, last episode, when she didn't want to talk to, or when Nauta didn't want to talk to her, uh, she showed up at his house, and now she's just showing up at the school <laughs> uninvited, like embarrassing him in front of his age-appropriate friends. Yeah, and you know, hinting at some jealousy of the class president, uh, Nina Mori. Yeah. Uh, she seems interested. Who's that lady? Why is she so old? Why is she skipping school? <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, Blue Panda, uh, Alex, Ben, and I—we all have older brothers. I guess Nauta in the show has an older brother, and that's part of the weird social dynamic that's going on with these characters. But um, when I saw this scene, it brought me back to middle school, you know, leaving class and then having like my brother's girlfriend who shows up with a car to pick me up from school in front of all my peers and like (laughs) how fancy and special that felt. (laughs) Like I'm not getting on the bus, I'm getting in this car. I don't know, like there's a similar scene that comes up later with this, but um, I guess I'm not sure how how to receive that because uh, uh, this is a very different dynamic. This is... What are we saying? She was 15 years old? Yeah, I think we don't really know. It's kind of left ambiguous. And I read something that Toskun, the older brother, he may be 17. Mm. So it may may not be as as huge of an age difference as we initially imagined, or at least I I, I guess I'm trying to figure out if like the parallels, how much they deviate. Because like in my situation, there's a high schooler picking me up from middle school. But then in this situation, it's a high schooler visiting an elementary school. <laughs> I kind of read it as like ambiguous, like his like male friends are kind of like, oh, that's like cool or whatever. But then yeah. um, what's her name? Nina Morty is like, this is kind of weird. Like yeah. she like this doesn't seem like something like a high schooler should do or something like that. And of course, the the guys are super into it. They're like, oh, a, a cute older girl. Uh, and they're even joking about yeah. it, right? They're like, oh, that's his wife, his older <laughs> wife. Yeah, she uh, she seems so much more mature, like the elementary schooler, than like most of the people in the show. I was like, wow, she knows what's up. Yeah, I think she's my favorite character in the show. And I'm really excited about uh, the next episode because we get uh, kind of a character study. Why does she hang out with, uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing these names because I haven't heard them in the show, but uh, Nauta's two friends, uh, Gaku and Masashi, I think. The only thing I could figure out about them was Masashi's name is like Masashi Masamune, which kind of sounds like a play on Masamune, the the legendary sword maker, and Musashi, the legendary uh, swordsman. Mm. (laughs) Uh, But why does Nina Mori hang out with this woman? She doesn't seem to like them very much. Is it just to get closer to Nauta? Like, what's going on? Dude, I have a theory. Let's hear it. Okay, so sometimes girls her age have a hard time making friends for like various Mm. reasons. So maybe she's just like killed two birds with one stone. Like I get closer to Nota and these guys, I'm a girl, so they'll let me hang around. Like I just don't want to be alone. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, and she does seem like a a loner and kind of isolated outside of uh, that relationship. Like we'll learn that Mm -hmm. she's kind of distant from her parents. Uh, She doesn't have any siblings at home. And so, man, that makes a lot of sense. (laughs) Nina Mori is not amused. (laughs) (laughs) Then we go to back to the hospital or no, I'm sorry. It's not the hospital. It's actually Nauta's room, but Haruko puts on her nurse outfit <laughs> and uh, Kanti 
starts to take x-rays of it. I guess he's a medical mechanical robot, so he has the ability to take x-rays. Just just to interrupt for a second. So so I guess in this episode, the robot which emerged from Nauta's head starts being called Conti. Conti is like the name of this kind of god in Mamimi's game. Firestarter. She decides that this robot is that god, and so they start calling their robot Conti. I don't know if they, do they call him Conti in the show, or is that just kind of the official name from kind of outside of the show? I think it sticks. I don't remember if Naoto does, but I think uh, at least uh, Haruko, I think she starts referring to him that way. Interestingly enough, his dad does not. His He gets two names in this episode. I forgot about that. They start calling him Conti, but the dad, Common, starts calling him uh, TV uh, yeah. Boy. <laughs> Kind of an obvious nickname, but uh, speaking to the duality of the show and the the wordplay and the you know different names for the same thing or different things with the same name, it yeah. really works. Any, anyway, sorry to interrupt, Alex, but I just want to make sure the listeners knew Conti. You're so awesome. What an excellent comp troller. And you are the best comp troller I've ever <laughs> known. So they do this examination and Haruko tells Naoto that his brain is missing. But I feel like on an x-ray, wouldn't it not show up? Like, don't x-rays only pick up like hard tissue and bones? <laughs> she is that the joke? <laughs> I, I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, I, I think that's probably true. It does kind of look a little bit like a galaxy or something like that, or almost like an inverted color. <laughs> Yeah. Like there's this kind of spiral-y shape It looks to like it. a black hole. Yeah. Yeah. Which symbolically, very cool. Like Nauta's head is empty of presuppositions. Like I think he represents this seemingly limitless potential of a young mind. It hasn't been filled up yet with all of these uh, material and worldly thoughts. And so he's a better conduit than anyone else. And that's probably why Haruko says only his head works. Uh, he's this better conduit than an adult for the realm of the immaterial, the creative, theoretical, and unborn. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there's something. There. <laughs> no, I agree. Um, I always thought that as well. The way my friend Paul would articulate this is that Naoto's brain is an infinitely small point of infinite mass. <laughs> oh, like the creativity singularity. Science. <laughs> <laughs> Science. Okay, I think we get Nauta's cat for the first time. His name is Mew Mew. Sounds like a cool name for a cat. Uh, a lot of repetition. Uh, and he's quite old. We find out later in the episode that he's 12, which is pretty elderly for a oh cat, Oh my god. Right? <laughs> Ancient. And I think Mew, Mew, I think it's just like kind of like Meow or something like that versus the Japanese onomatopoeia of like Nyan. Yeah. Uh, and it's apocryphal that the cat is voiced by director Anno. <laughs> Oh, really? <laughs> I will neither confirm nor deny. Does it show up in the credits as a question mark? <laughs> exactly. Maybe he wants to be mysterious about it. He's like, lol, they'll never know it's this cat. <laughs> Where does the truth end and the lies begin? Yes, that's what they're talking about. <laughs> well, so part of the scene, right, is Haruka says that she's like an alien. He's, she's an alien and part of the Galaxy Patrol. But then now it is like, that's like a dumb name for a band. And like, we're kind of like, not sure, <laughs> is she just a weirdo saying weird things? Or is this true? And, and then I guess we get that line, uh, you know, where does the truth end and the lies begin? And I think that's where it cuts the to the title card. And we see um, black feathers falling, which is kind of an image that shows up a bunch of times in this episode. Um, and I was trying to figure out what exactly that was about. So we do have Conti, the, the robot has these kind of black wings on his back, but to me, it's almost like ashes falling. You know, they mm. kind of are mm. dark and drift down slowly, almost like feathers. Mm. Maybe his wings were white and they got covered in soot from the fire. I love a robot dressing up or cosplaying, right? He's like, I need some accessories, a little halo and some wings. I want to wear a jacket. (laughs) The jacket's a baseball jacket, right? It's the coolest jacket. Oh my God. Is that Nato's older brother's jacket? Mm. Yeah, it is. Oh my gosh. I've always wondered if him wearing that jacket is like symbolically him being Mm -hmm. the brother. He definitely takes that role, uh, like fills that space. And I didn't realize until this episode that maybe they're not the exact same shade, but Nauta always wears this teal or light blue jacket. Mm. It's it's almost the exact same shade as Conti. Uh, So like even color wise, they're connected. You know, there's a parallel. And it has some kind of significance because we see the transformation later. 
Yes, almost like they're not two separate things, like they're two halves of the same whole. Uh, so then we we go to kind of like the outside of the bakery or the, the family house, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in the subbed version, the father, Kamon, he lists all these pop culture references, and some of them are really obscure, like the deep cuts. And I watch the scene, I have to wonder, like, what is this about? Are we establishing that, like, is his dad just a big kid? And he wrote a book about Evangelion? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and it's kind of like conspiratorial not conspiratorial exactly but it's like it seems like his father is finding symbolism in places there isn't symbolism right like he's trying to find this connection between the letters and it's almost yeah making fun of like (laughs) what we're doing right which is like trying to find the symbolism or or something like that or at least the people that go too far doing it yeah, so that's just like the very first <laughs> reference in the sub is uh, Family Unit N, which is a reference to uh, Doraemon. That's kind of funny because it's this domestic family and they have this blue robot living with them. And of course they have cut. <laughs> that looks like a cat, yeah. right? Kind of an anthropomorphized. <laughs> yeah, the cat that oh, lost his gosh, ears. Oh gosh, that's... He doesn't have ears? <laughs> no, he lost Now we know them. where they went. <laughs> so then going from Family Unit N to all these like pop culture references that use initial letters... And man, he just goes on and on, like weaving this weird thread. The first time around, I didn't notice it at all in this scene. But um, so Nauta says, you know, like, don't have him outside. Like, what if someone sees him? And then while this thing is going on, like, while all the characters are in the background, there are these people in the foreground that, like, walk by the house, see the robot, and then seem to, like, blink out of existence. <laughs> and like you know like i don't know if it's like i it's kind of this idea that like the robot is somehow like disrupting the timeline or or like once people see this thing something happens to them but it seems like it's just like a one-off oh joke God. just for this scene and then the show just kind of moves on mm-hmm. so this gets back to the head scratcher i had from our first episode and it's pretty well articulated in this reoccurring line. Where does the truth end and the lies begin? Like, what's real? So in episode one, you have the hospital, like, jumping and twisting, and it's not literally happening. And then, mm-hmm. you know, the weird stuff in this episode. Um, you know, people see a robot, this autonomous <laughs> thing. And you're like, Mamimi, uh, she receives it in a really strange way. Mm-hmm. It's so, it's <laughs> surreal, right? Yeah, and, and maybe it's just yeah. kind of like, like this is signaling like, yeah, we acknowledge that if a family just like had this like super advanced robot and people saw it, that that would be a big deal. But like, we're not interested in that question. So just like accept that and like move on or something like that. <laughs> yeah, they're like setting the tone. Like, look, here's all the weird right away. Just get over it. <laughs> Looking at these, uh, the anime references he makes again, it's amazing how comedic it is actually uh robot detective k for kamon right which is him he's the one thinking about the robot innocent girl a which is pretty clearly mamimi passionate woman uh, b which is pretty clearly oh Adokai. wow like it it's not just <laughs> naming things off they're all there for a specific reason so they kind of continue to see the story about fire so haruko you know is looking through these binoculars and sees a fire and says there's been a bunch of fires recently nauta remembers that there was just one another day mm-hmm. and then we visit mamimi again under the bridge uh and now she has a new friend uh this little black cat that looks a lot <laughs> like the cat from sailor moon i think there's two cats in that but the black cat from sailor moon yeah and then <laughs> she's named this cat Takun, right? Which is, of course, <laughs> confusing to uh, Nauta, uh, maybe in, uh, frustrating even. But I noticed this difference between the English and, or the sub and the dub. In the dub, uh, Mamimi says, do you have anything for Takun to eat? And Nauta says, what does he eat? And Mamimi says, well, not like chewing gum. But in the sub, she actually asks, would he <laughs> eat chewing gum? <laughs> Bizarre difference of amazing. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder if he's mad that he she named something small and cute after him. He's like, no, I'm not small and cute. I'm a man. <laughs> well, when also the Takun is interesting because his brother is Tasku, right? I guess I wonder, was he also Takun? And Nauta was kind of like her first cat mm. and he's named after, she named him after the older brother too. Yeah, so she's moving on to small and smaller <laughs> things. <laughs> Um, and she she mentions here too, she's like, oh, I lost my shoes like playing with the cat. But then from the scene we have later on, you know, maybe she's lying to him here about how mm. she lost her shoes. So it's interesting, right? It's like Naoto's taking care of her. He finds her shoes and brings them back. 
but she calls the stray cat Takun. I don't know if I'm reading into this too much, but like, is that how she sees him? He's this mm. kid on his own. His brother left. His dad and grandfather are not very reliable. Yeah, there's probably some projection going on there because she's so alone in her personal life. And oftentimes, you know, when someone has an unmet need, they're acutely aware of it. And so they may look for someone else they think has that same need mm. uh, as a way to like, you know, put some justice into the world. Like my need wasn't met, but I'm going to be a better person and meet the needs of someone else. But she's young, doesn't understand psychology very well, and probably <laughs> is like, now to does not feel the yeah. same way. Or, or, you know, she has this weird line about how, you know, she saves this cat and like feels like this God. And I, I think even now to kind of like does a weird like head look where he's like, uh, you must really like this game, right? Like this is about the game, right? But clearly she's going through some shit and kind of doesn't have control over her own life. So she's looking for things she can have control over. Mm -hmm taking care of this cat and, you know, maybe this kind of inappropriate relationship with Naota. Yeah, so just before we go too far, I just wanted to uh, highlight something that I found really remarkable uh, that I noticed during this scene. As I was saying earlier, like, as loosey-goosey as Fulikuli is with uh, what's real and what isn't, the continuity is airtight. Like, from scene to scene, like, the end of this bridge scene, Naoto is leaving. Well, he's going over to the medical clinic, which connects us to the next scene where Haruko crashes her Vespa. It's mm. seated in the previous scene. And then even before that, uh, at the Nadaba family house, they're giving uh, Lord Conti, the robot, some time to itself. Well, where's it, go where's it going? It's going to the, the burnt out ruins where Mamimi finds it later. It's amazing. Mm. But, but not only <laughs> that, like the, the thematic continuity. So the bridge scene, Mamimi is soaking her feet, playing a game while and in the game, a city is burning. Mm -hmm. It's a striking image and it only grows from there. It goes from two-dimensional to three-dimensional to then it starts to get existential near the end. But uh, I was just really, really <laughs> impressed by that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think it leads us pretty neatly into the next scene. Uh, there was that projection we were talking about. Then Haruko has this, I mean, awesome animated sequence. We all remarked on it when we were uh, watching it, but uh, she loses control of her Vespa and it gets away from her and she ends up like cartoon running to catch up to it. She's running after it. <laughs> Just awesome. Uh, and then she crashes it into the medical mechanica building. And we find out some really important things in the scene. We find out that the medical mechanica building doesn't have outside doors. So there's no plausible way to get in or out, making it quite mysterious, <laughs> but also uh, Haruko gets to make some really interesting points here. I was talking about projection earlier. Everything that's said in the scene is a double entendre, right? Like one of the guards is saying, oh, I've never seen parts like these on the Vespa while staring at her crotch because she's uh, kind of seated in a provocative manner from his perspective. And then the straight man guard, he makes fun of Haruko saying that she's dumb. Like, oh, you don't have any brains. You're like, you're not putting anything together. You're, you crashed your bike into here. And he's not putting together that, of course, she just crashed her bike into here, not on accident, you fool. So like everything <laughs> is a projection, everything is a double entendre in the scene. It works out very, very well. Yeah. I love when she just takes the mech and shoves it in the bike. And it <laughs> yeah, fixed it with a Gundam toy. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And 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 Nauta does like a little double take after that, which is really cool. There's like a little reaction <laughs> shot in there, which you don't often see in anime. Yeah. And I, maybe I've got my tinfoil hat on, but I thought there was some cool symbolism there that like modern anime runs off of the symbolism of previous anime, right? When you see that toy, people don't go, oh, that's a plastic toy. They say, that's a Gundam. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And then kind of going back to the uh, now to wanting to be an adult thing, I thought it's like, you know, when he leaves the scene, he's like, people depend on me or whatever. I'm like, I've got things to do. And you're just kind of like, <laughs> okay, dirty. kid. But then it like turns out he's her like emergency contact. Yeah. <laughs> so he actually like did have to go there. So you guys can spoil this for me if, if this is something that's revealed in the last couple episodes, but there's no way in or out of this building. And I'm watching the scene, I'm thinking, are there kids inside the building with like portals in their heads? And that's how people get in and out of the building, like through other people's heads. Gosh, I hope so. <laughs> So then, you know, uh, as a reward for kind of coming there to help her out or whatever, um, Harko offers him, you know, that she's going to give him some reward and it's going to be even better than CPR. And then we cut back to Mamimi, who's kind of still in that area by the bridge, and she sees this halo floating. 
and it turns out it's you know the halo that the robot has strapped onto its head. Uh, she watches it first through her camera, kind of go to this burnt up building. And, uh, you know, I think we all talked about how great the music is in that scene. And I think this really is like, it's not very much a plot based show, but it's just these amazing scenes that I think are very memorable that just kind of like evoke these moods. Um, and for me, that bridge scene in, in episode one, where she's smoking the cigarette that says, you know, never knows best is kind of that scene for me in episode one. And, and I think this is one of those scenes in, in episode two. Yeah, it, uh, Hybrid Rainbow is my favorite Pillows song, uh, so I get excited whenever this scene pops up. Uh, and <laughs> it makes everything, this scene more than any other, at least that we've come across so far, makes everything seem so effortless. Because like Conti climbs up onto this building, this like burnt out building with a bunch of crows on it, and somehow doesn't disturb any of them. None of them care that he's there. He's like silent or they don't see him as a threat. But as soon as he's up, like he flashes and they all run away or they all fly away. And then he slowly lifts off and just does these lazy, uh, easy <laughs> spins and pirouettes through the air and eventually just starts ascending in this prayer stance, which Mamimi mimics <laughs> on the ground. Almost like, yeah, like the flight is just effortless. It's just like a thought upwards. I know I love the pattern he uses the flight. It looks so much yeah. fun. And, and it feels very like human somehow, right? Like that's kind of maybe the point where you're like, is yeah. this a robot? Like, I don't know. Yeah, what does he spend his free time doing? Picking up lost pieces of himself, <laughs> right? I think in that scene, he finds one of them and they're like, flecked pieces of his head and they're all still red from before Haruko hit him. Or I mean, they shattered off when Haruko hit him. We have this resplendent, ascendant moment where Mamimi gets to see uh, Kanti go up. And as he goes up, I can't remember if there's a rainbow, but it's this, you know, clouds parting, uh, rays from the sun coming down, brilliant uh, shot. And then we get, I assume chronologically, they're supposed to be simultaneous. We, we come back to Haruko uh, driving Mauta home on the Vespa, and they're coming down this like Pacific Coast Highway which if you've ever driven on one of those like on the on the cliffs it can be a majestic but terrifying experience and Haruko is experiencing the majesty whereas Naoto is experiencing the terror Phil gets to see this full circle rainbow in the sky which we established that it was raining earlier so it makes some sense so I assume that Mamimi and Naoto have uh, a simultaneous though different transcendent experience yeah this is a little bit of an aside but maybe like as good of a time as any but after some of the name stuff that we talked about last episode um, I looked up uh, Harahara and if that meant anything so one of the definitions of that is to to feel anxious or nervous or to feel excited or thrilled and then there's another meaning that means like fluttering down or trickling down um, which then made me think of the feathers that we see falling in this episode and what what does that mean exactly? I don't know. It's <laughs> kind of interesting. Well, it kind of establishes a parallel between Haruko and Kanti, right? Like Kanti possesses the wings, but Haruko has the name to go along with them in the same way that there are these emerging parallels between Mamimi and Nauta. Hmm. You know, they're both left behind by the same person and they're both, they have both experienced that older person relationship. And then we go back to the house, right? And what's his name? Conti returns with his... Well, I'm sorry. Before Conti returns, we have this scene of Nauta, uh, Mamimi, and Haruko hanging out. And Nauta is kind of in the middle of the two of them. Haruko is purely inside and Mamimi is purely outside. And I thought it was a cool position or juxtaposition of like where he lies. Like he's attracted to both of these mm. people. He has uncomfortable relationships with both of them. And one of them's outside, one of them's inside. Yeah. That's a good parallel. I just wondered about the art style change in that, that beginning of the, the scene. Did anyone oh, yeah. notice that? Yeah. I wonder if they had a guest artist come in just for fun, just do scenes. It, uh, it reminded me of the animation you would see in like commercial advertising in Japan, whether it would be magazines or on TV, mm. just this like rudimentary style. Can you guys describe exactly what you're talking about? Yeah, it was like um, the lines are a little more wiggly. Yeah, looking. people's forms aren't as defined. They look yeah. almost monstrous. It's almost like flash animation, like just quickly done. I wonder if it was like they got rushed for like the last scene. <laughs> I don't have the reference in front of me, but I do remember reading that that was one of the things that uh, Tsunumaki wanted to play with, just like imagery from very diverse sources, including commercial advertising. 
Yeah, I'm wondering, like, we do, um, you know, there's a part later in the series where they kind of go into the style of South Park. And, you know, that's like very like apparent, but I wonder if there's just some other animation or something like that, that it's like riffing off of. Reminds me a little bit of uh, Ping Pong, if you've seen that. Oh my gosh, Ping Pong Club? Yeah. Protopeller, Protopeller. No, like thin lines like that. Uh, And almost jelly-like bodies. Like people, when they move, they can Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. Hey, can I take us back for a second? Mm -hmm. The two back-to-back resplendent scenes of uh, Mamini's, uh, I call it her her transfiguration, and then um, Naoto's gift um, from Haruko, like the drive down with the ocean view. I mean, it's it's beautiful, right? It's, It's at sunset, it's the beach. Um, but it's also after fires and I've got a friend that lives out in Denver and he's been sending me screenshots of like absolutely stunningly beautiful sunsets, but it's because that there's just been these wildfires. It's, it's what yeah. I thought of when I saw it. Cause it's like these wild uh, gradients of the oranges and pinks and all this stuff. Uh, it just seemed like another one of those interesting details. Yeah. We just had a bunch of fires here in California and as unfortunate as it was, the sunsets were really stunning. <laughs> Maybe they're like saying like out of bad stuff, sometimes beautiful Yeah, Japan is no rain. stranger to that phenomenon. So I mean, I guess mm. the other thing, um, as I mentioned earlier, like the sort of nostalgic feels, this is just another one of those things that uh, sort of took me back. Having an older brother and getting to hang around with like your older brother's friends, it's an experience that I got to have once, like getting driven to like an underground record store in the city that I would normally never have access to as a middle schooler. Uh, but like getting to <laughs> have that ride downtown and with older kids, it is better than CPR. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I, I know that that's the audience we're supposed to like read into that is like, oh, new sexual yeah. provocation. But uh, I, I thought it was a beautiful scene. Like this episode really mm-hmm. won me over with just how many little heartfelt moments uh, they, they, they put on the screen for you. Yeah. I think when you were watching it, you mentioned the word nostalgia, Brian, and I was like, I'd literally just like typed it four seconds ago or something. <laughs> you know, watching it now, it's like this feeling of nostalgia, but I think that's because they captured this kind of feeling of freedom or kind of like exploration or potential. I'm thinking of that book, The Perks of Being a Wallflower, which I think also captured it very well. And the line they always used was like, and in that moment, I was infinite. Mm. And I feel like (laughs) Nauta and like Mamimi are kind of having those like experiences right then where they're like fully present, having this very... I guess you you can use the word sensual even, not like in a sexual way, but just like this very like sensory, completely like embodied kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like also that age, they're like, I'm invincible. It's <laughs> <laughs> like you're sitting throwing around these robots and no one's concerned, <laughs> really. I mean, Mamimi's like, oh no, like casually. <laughs> yeah, and then we get that scene with at the house, right? The Conti is off buying porn for grandpa is that it yeah that was a cool little difference in the in the sub versus dub in the dub he's getting a hustler and he is and the grandpa specific he scolds him because he failed to pick up the one with the anna nicole smith centerfold Mm -hmm. which you know pretty recognizable name in english in america but it uses a completely different public figure in uh, in the Japanese version, right? <laughs> the actress from Godzilla, Tokyo SOS. Uh, yeah, is she like the pilot of the, of the uh, uh, yes. interview? Yeah. I, I guess that goes under the general category of maybe like, I think they call it localization. And, and it's a general question in translation, right? So do you preserve the reference and no one will get it, but then they can look it up and try to get it if they're curious, or do you try to find some um, some equivalent translation or something Yumiko like that? Shaku, that's the actress. Who would you have put in that situation? Like, <laughs> who is somebody that's just known among geekdom? Maybe the actress who played Seven of Nine on Star Trek Voyager because she was highly sexualized on oh, that yeah. show, like to the point where it <laughs> ma- it turned fans off. Like she gave an excellent performance, but they just kept putting her in these increasingly sexualized outfits. And you're like, dude, what do you think she's here for? Yeah. She's a Borg, <laughs> you dumb fuck. <laughs> oh man, you went highbrow. I was like Linda Carter. <laughs> <laughs> 
and I'm like Megan Fox. I, I don't know any of these references. <laughs> I, anyway, th- this we can cut, but I'm just curious. In uh, Battlestar Galactica, is the blonde woman, is she seven? No, the blonde woman is another very uh, uh, celebrated kind of cult actress because she had that role and she was also in, uh, she was in this fake trailer for a, never mind, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Um, I know oh, now I'm interested. She has a fake trailer for uh, uh, an adult Power Rangers movie with like uh, James Vanderbeek playing opposite her. And it's this interrogation scene. It's actually quite good. I'll, I'll find it before we finish and send you guys all the link. Um, anyway. So they have this scene. They're waiting for Conti to come back. Nauta is specifically like between the two objects of his affection, having some alone time with the two of them. And then... Conti shows back up and lands like a fucking helicopter in the backyard. He's got all of his lights blaring. Uh, None of that easiness, like pirouettes in the air like we saw before. He just announces himself to everyone. (laughs) It was awesome. It really solidified to me like Conti is kind of this manifestation of Nauta's feelings just because of the color continuity. And I mean, he literally comes out of Nauta's fucking head, right? And the (laughs) two cats get along in that scene right or at least the the takun the young cat who is they note that he's four months old is like enamored with uh mew mew who is 12 like not much <laughs> years old which would be a very inappropriate cat relationship and then is it he goes back to his friends he's hanging out with them and they are by the bridge but overlooking it and they see mamimi down on the waterfront and she's like wringing out her clothes she's like soaked and one of them says that they saw Mamimi getting bullied by some other girls, which I don't think we see. Maybe there were some stills, but I don't, I don't know that we ever actually get her interacting with other high school girls. And then it quickly changes to Nauta following after her, like almost walking her home, but like staying five steps behind her and they're not saying anything. Or she drops her game and doesn't want to pick it up again. She doesn't care. Oh, and she's wearing this skirt that has pockets. And that is very weird. I've never <laughs> seen a skirt with pockets in my life. Oh, like schoolgirl in Japan, they're pretty common. They like all have pockets. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's awesome. Because they take care of My wife would love that. Stuff. She is has very big opinions about women's apparel and the lack of pockets. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, I will not even start. <laughs> I'm sorry. Another <laughs> sensitive issue I brought up. Sounds like a, no, another a- podcast <laughs> to start. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we have the foreshadowing and, and Brian, I don't know if you can speak to this because this is, was this your first time around watching this episode? Yes. But so, you know, so they're with his friends um, before they see Mamimi, they're like exploring this burnt down building by the river and they're kind of speculating, oh, you know, I bet it's some like housewife who is just like fed up with this and she's like stressed out. You know, then they see Mamimi getting bullied. And then when Nauta is walking her home, she drops the game and it kind of flashes orange. It's almost like a literal light bulb going Mm -hmm. off. And then she takes out the cigarette and lights it and it's like kind of growing a bright orange. And then there's kind of this moment of of Nauta getting that like, oh, maybe she's the one starting these fires. And and we get this weird kind of manic flash of kind of a mix of memories. And, and it seems like maybe too, there's like some scene that just happened that we didn't see where he's talking to a policeman who's asking him if he saw something suspicious or something. Like it's maybe the scene that happened in between him hanging out with his friends and him like walking her home. Okay. Yeah. So this part of the episode really got me before I get to those details. I'll just say, gosh, just right now, as we're talking, it's becoming clear to me, the visuals are overstated. And like, that's when we get all the cartoony weird stuff, but the meaning is understated, right? So the scene they're talking about, um, I mean, being bullied now Oto doesn't say anything. You just, the camera just goes to his face and he has this realization and um, you could just sort of see something breaking in him. Sorry, just really quick to interject. When that happens in that scene, we also see the like steam starting to build mm-hmm. up at the medical mechanica factory. Yeah. And then he's following Mamimi and she drops the game. Again, like nothing is explicitly said, but something breaks in her too. But just getting back to the technical details, my understanding of the, the flashes was that this is what happened six years ago. Uh, so now Naoto's mm. remembering whatever's going on in this situation, like visiting the ruins with his friends, his epiphany with Mamimi, things are coming back to him. Oh, wow, I didn't get that. So you're saying this is a, a revelation he's having about that fire six years ago, not necessarily a revelation about the fires right yeah, now. Yeah, because um, 
in the scenes later mm -hmm. on, like we're leading up to other fires from the past. So th there's this, this fire that happens mm -hmm. six years ago. It was now it's a school. He gets rescued from the school. I think Mamimi gets rescued from the school. Yeah, I think so. Because I don't think that Nauta is attending that school at the time. Because I think he specifically states that uh, this is the school that Mamimi and Tosca Oh, my understanding was that Mamimi and Naota were students at the elementary school. I guess the older brother would have been in middle school. And I might have that wrong. But nevertheless, whatever the circumstances are, it seems like Naota would have been interrogated by the police just if he saw anything or knew anything. Um, and maybe he did and didn't say anything. Uh, we might be getting ahead of ourselves here. That's awesome, though. That, that was real. It's like a real deep yeah. meaning. I'm, I'm curious, Brian, what, at what point in watching this episode do you remember, like, when you realize Mamimi was the fire I, I think it was just there when uh, Nauta's with his buddies checking out the burnt ruins and somebody says something and there's the flash. I paused it because I just really wanted to see what the images were of the flash. And it was the bullying scene. So did Mamimi set that fire when she was six? Or no, I'm sorry. She would have been eight. Nauta would have, or no, 10 maybe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did she set that fire at the elementary school? I think I, I think so. I think she did, man. Wow. So she's like a lifelong arsonist? <laughs> that's awesome. I mean, arson is bad, kids. Because there's that line that's like, I like wanted it to disappear, but like the ashes stayed. And I think when they're talking about the school earlier, they say something like, the school is burned down, but like the ashes are still there. And then at the end of the episode, he's like, the ashes are gone. Mm. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to talk mm -hmm. about that. <laughs> okay, well, let's get there then. So he has this scene where he's following her. She lights up a cigarette. He has this uh, epiphany. And then he explains the rules of the game, right? Firestarter. It's a handheld video game. No one knows how Enzville, the city of devils, was created. But as soon as it appeared, it started to grow and slowly eat up the world. You are an agent of Conti, the god of the Black hey, Queen, and you must stop Enzigo from destroying the world. Sorry, Your only weapon is flame. Matches, sure lighters, firebombs. Get the weapons, stress. outsmart the firefighters, hide from the police, and torch the city to purge its devils. But you must be careful. You cannot burn every And then we go to Haruko having a report with Mew Mew. Uh, she's like shaking the cat around and are we meant to think that the cat is the superior or that the cat is some sort of transmission uh, system? <laughs> if he's like, the boss. Because, and the only reason I ask is because she's like reporting to uh, Mew Mew and then before she can finish what she wants to say in her report, Mew Mew attacks her <laughs> in like this jumping, kicking <laughs> manner and it's at the opportune time so that Haruka will stop talking and notice what's happening or that there is another emergence about to happen mm. from Nauta's head. And so Mew Mew seems like preternaturally aware of what's happening. I, yeah, I guess I saw it more as like she was reporting like things weren't going well. Like she says something like, I haven't gotten in contact with him yet. You know, I, I got this like robot on my side, but the robot is useless. And then the cat starts like attacking her, like almost like punishing her for like not doing a good job on her mission or something. <laughs> and then is that the big climax scene? Is that the conflict that happens? So, so after this, we get that kind of flashback where it's revealed kind of what happened at the elementary school. And that's the day that uh, Mamimi and his brother Tosku met was when uh, Tosku saved her from the fire. Do you have a note here about Samajima? Uh, Samajima? Um... I think that's Mamimi's name. Mamimi Samajimi. Samijima. Wikipedia describes her as a 17-year-old truant high school student with a quixotical grip on reality. <laughs> Mm. $10 <laughs> words. It's hard to parse out loud. I had to rehear that a couple times. But so, so after he kind of explains this memory about how um, his brother and Mamimi met, then we kind of go back to the, um, the present and she's made uh, some sort of like prayer circle or something on the ground um, with marks, you know, almost like I always think of it like a pena pentagram or a pentacle or something like that. But it's a, uh, it looks like it's a peace symbol, which also, if you look at the kind of the circle that we saw on the robot's head, the peace symbol is kind of present inside that circle. Mm -hmm. um, so it could be a little bit of that same imagery. Um, and she's doing this prayer saying, furry, 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 kuri, furry, kuri, furry, kura. I don't know. She's kind of repeating furry, kuri over mm -hmm. and over again. Then 
the robot and arrives. Comes right? up on or, her. Yeah, I guess Naoto arrives first. She notices him, but then they see that Conti is actually in front of them. He's like inside the burnt out building. He finds another piece. And then I think he like tries to hide for a second from them, but then eventually just walks out in full view. And oh, Mamimi, she says, bless, bless me with, with your kiss, kiss Lord Conti, my reward. Oh, so she like floats forward, which is awesome, almost as effortlessly as he flew earlier, and then plants a kiss on Conti's robotic non-mouth. And seeing this, Nauta overflows again. The horn in the back of his head starts sprouting out, and from uh, out of the top of it comes a much larger robot than we got last time. It's huge. It looks like the only thing I could find that it looked like was a particular model of Xeon mobile suit that appears in War in the Pocket. It's called a High Gog. It has these like weird flexible arms and it has that kind of fat but streamlined uh, middle section, almost like it's made for uh, aquatic combat. And we can see that the arm from the first episode, or the hand that uh, Kanji defeats in the first episode, is the hand of this robot. It has, it's missing one of its arms, uh, it has bandages on that arm, and it seems to have replaced it with some sort of taser. How did I miss that? It was in my face. <laughs> this show is so rewatchable. So, just like a quick side note, right before the robot came up and she stops the little cassette thing, um, I found the song it's from. Like, it's actually the end of the song Stalker. I remember when I was listening to albums, like, I'll put it in the chat too if you guys want to play it later. If you go like to the end, you can Who, Who's that song by? Yeah. Oh, Still the Pillows. <laughs> yeah, literally every music track, I think. So, this thing pops out of his head. Haruko shows up on her Vespa trying to help Conti, and the two of them kind of get their butts kicked by the big robot. Uh, like, they land a couple of hits, but nothing's really sticking. And then uh, Nauta tackles Mamimi to save her, to get her out of the way, which like, that's cool. Like in the middle of this, everyone's gonna die moment. He's like, oh, well, I can save one person. I can save Mamimi. Uh, and Mamimi right before that grabbed the cat out of the way. So like there's this domino effect of people being concerned for each other. It's nice. Yeah, Kanti kind of saves Nauta, right? Mm -hmm. And then Nauta has this, he says his brother's name, I think. And I think we discussed this before, that name could mean like savior or rescue. It's almost like he might be saying save me or help me, but he ends up just saying his brother's name. And that's what triggers Conti to show the symbol again. And he kind of goes super saiyan again. He blocks a big hit from the giant robot, kicks it away. And, like you don't see what's happening at first. You just hear Nauta kind of struggling. And then you see uh, Mamimi and, um, uh, Haruko's reactions, and then you see that Kanti has this like many-eyed cosmic monster coming out of it, the middle of it, or is morphing into, and it eats Nauta. And then we get to see inside, Nauta's in this like pocket dimension where it looks like all of the visuals, like the chromatic hues are shifted. And then we get this weird reversal where this big screw like screws into the back of his head. It looks very painful, very awesome. But as it reaches the end, it's just a light bulb on the other end. Yeah. And Conti goes his red form. That's his, you know, power unleashed. And then it gets hyper phallic. It turns into like this howitzer cannon. And not only that, but it fires Nauta as its ammunition, which, you know, like a sperm is a little copy of you, yeah. isn't it? And that one shot is enough to stop the giant robot and give Haruko her chance to smash it in the head. And then what happens? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's just as visceral. Oh my god, have any of you seen Space Patrol No, what is that? Okay, it's like a, a studio trigger anime, but there is a scene where one of the characters transforms into a gun. It is so similar to like this. I was like, I wonder if they had inspiration from this. I'll just leave it in the chat for later if you guys want. Trigger is yeah. a lot of people that came from Gynax, right? So maybe it's even some of the same anime. Yeah, I was like, man, I bet like someone was like, let's do it again. Like, because it was so did funny. You, uh, Blue Panda, did you say Space Patrol? Yeah, Space Patrol. Okay, because that's mentioned in uh, the strobe transformation scene. It's different between the sub and the dub. First class, Space Patrol officer. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Dude, I wonder if the creators that. were 
making like yeah. Easter eggs. Yeah, seems like they like doing that. There's a lot of self-referential kind of stuff. And there's some awesome shots at the end there. Like Conti lays his hand on top of uh, Mamimi's head. And now with the height differential, Conti looks just like Tascoon, the older brother did in the in the flashback yeah. shot. Uh, mm. kind of recreating that moment. And Mamimi says, Nauta, you're all sticky. Which, you know, we're doing this poop joke, but I thought maybe that the poop joke was there to disguise the semen. <laughs> <laughs> Classic move. <laughs> disguise the poop joke. <laughs> <laughs> That's an exception going on. Uh, I was going to say, so the, the cannon thing, I think some people have talked about how it kind of looks like an anti-tank cannon, but I also saw on one of the wikis that it also sort of looks like a baseball, like pitching machines and like a batting cage or something like oh, that. Oh, that's so cool. About the, yeah, because the brother plays baseball. Yeah. So, so I guess at the end of the scene, um, Harko is like, you know, let's get out of here. The, the cops are coming. We see sirens. And I guess Conti is like kind of getting ready to fly away. But Mamimi and Nauta are both kind of like stunned and they're just looking at each other while this stuff is going on. Yeah, and there was another little difference between the sub and dub. Uh, I don't know if we mentioned this earlier, but uh, in the subtitle, or Nauta says, I decided to stay by her side. But in the in the dub, it says explicitly says forever. Obviously, I'm not picking up the Japanese, but the forever really sounds kind of sinister. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> not a good idea, kid. You're 12. Don't make these kinds of decisions. <laughs> I don't know, maybe they wanted to emphasize how since he was so young, he's not thinking about how long forever is. He just wants to express how passionate he is. Because the kids do that all the time. They're like, oh, yeah, it's like my favorite thing in the whole world. You're like, But gosh, what a difference. Like, on the one hand, I'm going to stay by your side. Oh, that's nice. Forever. Forever. (laughs) Oh. We got to have a talk. Yeah. I, I really think that that's more like a bad translation and it's more like yeah. I decided to like always stay on her side or something like that, which is the same meaning, like always means forever, but it just like doesn't sound creepy for some reason, right? Or it doesn't I sound think we have creepy the new F to word. me. Like I'll, I'll always be there for you versus like, I'll be there for you forever. <laughs> <laughs> it hits <Yeah>. different. <laughs> And that's it. That's our end of the episode. I love that ending. Like there's kind of no aftermath. There's just that one Mm -hmm. shot. We get a next time on. And all I noted was that we're going to hang out with Nina Mori, which is awesome. And Nina Mori is wearing a USSR shirt, which makes me (laughs) very excited. Maybe she's a communist. (laughs) So now that we've covered like the actual show, can we talk about headcanon? Yeah, sure. We got a little bit left. Go ahead. Uh, Nice conversation for me because I had misunderstood a few things that have now been cleared up and it sort of changes some of my perspectives on things. Tasku uh, seems much creepier to me now uh, that he Mm. saved uh, (laughs) this elementary school girl, uh, Mamimi, and then dates her. Uh, That's exploitative. But if he was a middle schooler, what can I expect of his judgment anyway? But anyway. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, there is this little line we didn't talk about it. Um, you know, you talked, Alex, about um, when Mamimi's over at the house, she's kind of outside of the room, like she's sitting right at the edge. And there's like a line about how she's sitting outside because the grandfather didn't approve of her dating the older brother. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's kind of like she's not allowed inside the house anymore or something like that. And then when the grandfather does get the magazine and she sees him, Mm -hmm. she has like this moment where she kind of like recoils or Mm -hmm. something like she's afraid of the the grandpa or something like that. And I don't know. It's just maybe like a little bit more evidence of something a little weird or sinister going Mm -hmm. on there. It's almost like resentment. She looks kind of angry. So this gets back into my head canon. Anyway, uh, the comment the father made in episode one about asking if Mamimi was poor, he didn't do it in like this funny, jokey way. It was like coming off as a jackass. What little I know about this part of uh, Japanese culture, it strikes me as classism, right? And it seems like maybe that's just mm. one of the many struggles that Mamimi might be dealing with. So you have a kid who, from my perspective, burned down an elementary school and uh, is getting bullied. And that leads me to suspect Mm -hmm. that she had been getting bullied for a long time. And maybe that's why she burned down the school. And maybe she was getting bullied because of classism. She's like the poor kid that doesn't have nice clothes or a nice lunch or whatever. You know, and and as all that stuff is sort of like 
condensing in my mind as I was watching this episode. It was like, it was kind of a, a hard thing to take. It made me really empathize with her. I think, Blue Panda, yeah. I think you mentioned this, like the look on her face when she's like wringing out her clothes in the, the creek or the river or whatever. She looks like she's been up all It's horrifying, the- man. Yeah, her like dark yeah. circle. I don't know if any of you have been bullied, but I was bullied in middle school and that really sucked. I can say that the younger someone is when they experience bullying, the more devastating it is just because you have less uh, life experience as a sort of padding to process what's happening to you. And again, I can only mm-hmm. speculate that maybe Mamimi's family experience is very similar to Noita's that she doesn't have family support. Why is she collecting dried bread? Yeah, there's so much like evidence that usually it's things that she's been having to do herself or things parents take care of for them. So it seems like they're either absent or not. And what really drove it home for me is, so she's fixated on this off-brand like Game Boy thing, like this single game console. And one of the descriptions is like, there's this city that's constructed in the game, Ennsville, and it was a city of devils. That's the problem you have to deal with. I heard that and I was like, oh my God, that's, that's Mamimi's world. She's in Ennsville and she's burning it down. Yeah. Yeah. But not all so like, this is where I kind of really felt the heart of this really funny over the top show. I was like, God, there's this serious real experience happening and it's heartbreaking. Yeah, I think that gets overlooked sometimes with people who see the show and just dismiss it as like a bunch of nonsense. Like when you stop to really yeah. look at it, it's just, there's so much deep meaning in there that's yeah, kind of hidden. Agreed. Uh, A lot of that tradition from uh, Neon Genesis, like, yeah, we can have these robots or yeah, we can have this absurd comedy and cosmic stuff, but you have to ground it somewhere. There has to be something human that people connect to or they won't care. Mm -hmm. I guess it's like both a very like comedic show, but then also very like melancholy. And I think in the same way that Evangelion was, you have kind of robot combat scenes and stuff, but then also this kind of slice of life. I guess maybe, yeah, there's at least three things going on. There's kind of like weird sci-fi stuff, robot bottle battles, and then just like really like emotionally deep slice of life stuff going on. Yes, it's just kind of an interesting choice, right? Because like slice of life anime did exist, right? I don't know if you can get this kind of animation budget or like, you know, like, I don't know if this guy could have just gone off and made this a slice of life anime about, you know, this like elementary school boy and his relationship with this high schooler and, you know, this older woman and their dysfunctional family or whatever. But anyway, just that, that they choose to kind of like combine it, right? Like, it seems like there are people interested in that kind of thing, but they also like robot battles and shit, right? And it's like, like, let's just like put all of these things together in, into one show. And I think that that is really hard to do, but they like do it super well. I, I feel like in some ways mm-hmm. better in this than in Evangelion. Like Evangelion, it kind of felt almost like two stories going on and here the kind of aspects of the world feel like more integrated or something. Mm-hmm. Okay, I mean, it's definitely a show of uh, juxtapositions and extremes. Hiding the uh, the semen joke under the poop joke, like like there's like really <laughs> profound like uh, I don't know how I don't know what it was you said Ben that made me think about this, but um, uh, I was at the Kennedy Center in 2007 for the premiere of uh, the anime anthology Genius Party, and uh, Shinshiro Watanabe was there, the guy who did uh, Cowboy Bebop. Yeah, he Whoa. said that uh, this is his perspective on anime. Uh, that first and foremost, it's meant to be felt more than understood. And he was just saying, like, whatever it is that we put into an anime, like, your experience of it is what matters. As long as it, like, moves you and, you know, provokes some kind of thoughts or feelings, and no matter what it is, like, that's, that was the intent. So when I think about Fooly Cooly, it's a six-episode series, right? Like, they have to be really intentional about what it is that they do or don't do with their screen time. And they take time to have these, as you call it, like Ben was saying, like the slice of life. It seemed like a a six-episode anime would just go really fast and just get down to business. But they pause for these like ambient moments, right? Conti's ascension, Mm -hmm. the drive down the highway next to the beach, laying on the floor at the house waiting for goods from the convenience store. But they're powerful. Whatever their intent was, I mean, it worked on me. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> any headcanon? Any final thoughts for the episode, Lupanda? I, I don't have many headcanons just because like, I, I feel like this show just resonated with my own feelings. I think that's why it's one of my favorites. So I don't even have anything I would add. It's just like perfect. Did you already <laughs> say who your favorite character was? 
Oh no, it didn't. I don't. Conscious <laughs> <my favorite. laughs> oh, yeah, strong silent yeah. type. Eh? <laughs> I don't know. I just love how much he expresses, even though he doesn't say anything. And he's such like a complex, interesting part of the show that there's so much mystery behind. And aesthetically, he just looks cool too. Mm-hmm. I guess. <laughs> I guess we haven't done a spoiler session yet, but a spoiler Spoilers. session. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I was reading there. There's some theories, so we'll get to this later on. Harko is like searching for this guy at Adamsk, this space pirate guy. Which is the name of the very first Cold War spy novel. Wow. Are you serious? Hmm. That's what But so some people think that he is inhabiting Conti, that Conti is Atomsk. And then, you know, when I was then I had heard that and I was like rewatching the thing of him kind of flying up into the sun or something that, um, you know, he's some sort of person that's kind of been imprisoned and now is like out in this robot body and he's kind of exploring the world, you know, or I guess it's kind of like this robot isn't really acting like we'd expect a robot to act. (laughs) So the the robot's complicit to making bread, like running errands (laughs) for the family. But when it gets uh, a day off or whatever, it's like sifting through ruins and it picks up these weird colored discs or something. I don't know what they were. It's the pieces of its head that Haruki missed off. Like they're all over town, but they're all kind of near the bridge where Mm -hmm. she hit him. Uh, And they're all still colored red. Rip the ones that fell in the river, though. (laughs) I'll never find them. (laughs) Maybe Mamini will find a piece when she's getting bullied again. Oh, my God. (laughs) 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 Went a little dark there. (laughs) I love it. Uh, And Blue Panda, was there anything that you wanted to plug? I am on YouTube, but I usually share my Instagram account just because it's kind of a big pile of everything mm-hmm. that i do because i'm into too many hobbies oh cool but it's uh blue panda uh, sorry i should ask you this beforehand so you could think about it but we usually take recommendations from our guests for anyone who mm. enjoyed this media what else might they like dude actually i think space patrol is a really good segue from the show because it also is like controlled chaos but it's a lot more like pop like very colorful very studio trigger it's a little more like lighthearted because each episode's like six minutes long (laughs) so they're really jamming as much as they can to each one and it's kind of like a little bit of whiplash but it's like really enjoyable still super short six minutes thank you so much for being on yeah thanks so much guys this is super fun hen cows booty kitty 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 k